Well, good evening, Mosaic family. Great to see you here on this cozy Saturday afternoon. Thanks for making it out to church. Would y'all stand up and worship with us as we sing praises to Jesus tonight? Love 
Y'all sound great. You may have a seat. I'd love to welcome one of our favorite couples here at Mosaic, Sue and Jerry Dudley. Could y'all welcome them to the stage for a body lifetime. My name is Jerry Dudley. This is my lovely bride, Sue, for 57 years soon to be. You can clap again if you want to. <laughs> and she did. I'm just hanging out. Um, so, uh, Sue and I have been at Mosaic now for about 13 or 14 years. We've been on staff for a while. Oops, excuse me. Been on staff for a while. And uh, I'm not used to all this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I uh, help with community groups. We help with the uh, welcome team. We help with pastoral care. And I do men's groups. Uh, usually our ministry area is uh, Springdale Fayetteville, but here recently we've taken on another job, and so we'll talk to you a second about that. And uh, we, we just work quite a bit now mosaic-wide where we find our feet standing is our worship area, I mean our ministry area. Yes, I'm Sue Dudley. As Jerry has already said, we serve together on a number of teams. What's so exciting is I'm introducing a new ministry into Fellowship Mosaic, and it's what we call the Sage Ministry, and it's a ministry for our senior adults. That makes us feel so proud. Uh, we are a seasoned group, and we're called Sage because of not the wisdom of our own, but the experiences that we've had with the Lord. I'd like to... We'd like to make a, is it still on? Yeah. We'd like to make a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, we'd like to let you know that you can connect with, Mo, with uh, Mosaic uh, in a couple of ways in the info booth uh, through texting the barcode on the screen or filling out an I'm new form. Uh, when the next announcement is, is uh, on the November the 12th between 12 and 2, we're doing a, uh, a, a fellowship called Friendsgiving. If you are a community group leader, if you, um, yeah, a leader, or if you are a uh, shepherd, or if you are a leader of any kind, we would love to have you come to the student center. And I, in my notes, it doesn't say east or west or what, I assume it's east. Uh, child care will be available, and everyone needs to register by 1118. Yeah, excuse me, 1118. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mentioned Sage on the evening of November 7th at the Lodge for the first time, we're having a Sage Women's Night of Worship. And what that is, many of our older women that have walked some very difficult times with the Lord, as hymns have ministered to them, several of our ladies will be sharing what that hymn was and why it was so significant during that time of their journey and it will be a time of testimony and worship songs and fellowship and what we'd like to do is invite some of the younger women meaning women 60 or under to just hear the richness and the nuggets the beauty of what God has done through hymns which mostly are worship of scripture so we want to invite you it will be 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. we'll honor the time and we want all women to feel the freedom to come but primarily we want to honor the Sage Ministry by your attendance. Uh, we're going to have a grief share survival of the, surviving the holidays Tuesday, November the 8th, 6 through 8 uh, in the training center, room 161. Registration is open and it is designed to provide support as you walk through the loss in this holiday season. And now it's time for my wife to have a closing prayer and I had a really cute comment to make but it's going to embarrass her so I'm not going to do that. He is really bad because he was going to thank the Lord for the meal. Now, some of you may know what that means, but others of you, you'll just have to ask those who are giggling out loud. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Father, Mosaic, we are all broken. We all matter, but oh God, only you get the glory. Thank you for your word that will be presented shortly through the reading of scripture to honor you, through the spoken word through Matt, through songs of worship that will exalt you, we pray. We just thank you for the privilege in our country to worship you freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all very much. Thank you. The Dudleys are a treasure. If you haven't gotten to know them, I really encourage you to get to know them. They are um, one of our core, core families here that, that keep things going. So I'm very thankful for them. 
Uh, my name's Kyle. If you've never met me, I'm the worship team leader here, and I get to serve alongside some of our worship volunteers. So I'd love to actually introduce you to some of our team, or actually our, our whole team. This is DJ playing cajon in the back. This is Ellie and Isaac uh, Sorensen, and Ellie and Isaac are married, um, and they're actually pregnant with their first child right now. And I just wanted to, to say that so that we could start praying for them and celebrate them. Um, with what God's doing in their life. But I, I also wanna create a culture where you guys know our leaders who are on stage and we get to break this uh, fourth, fourth dimension right here uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, that being said, I wanna teach you a chorus of a song that we're gonna sing tonight. So if you would, just um, listen this first time through and we'll sing it again and we'll, we'll invite you to sing with us. So it goes like this. Hallelujah. sing this with me.
fellowship. Let's uh, continue our time in worship through offering. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and um, pray the prayer of the offering tonight. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, and rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for we all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit.
God tonight. For those of you who don't know us, this I'm Bart, and this is Jeannie Phillips. She's my uh, wonderful bride of 53 years. So, uh, let's, let's read the scripture tonight. It's Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be among you, but among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or any greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be, care <clears throat> be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our <coughs> Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I can't read that. Thank you all very much. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Barton G. Well, hello. I'm Matt. I work with the kids' team here. It's a joy and a pleasure to be with you guys tonight. Uh, we're in Ephesians 5, but our, our passage this evening opens with a therefore. It's a word that should prompt us to ask, what's it there for? Yeah, very good. And uh, that means we're going to look back. So let's go ahead and jump uh, into a little bit of a quick review together. A few weeks back, Gary Oliver helped us distill Paul's vision in Ephesians for God's new humanity. He said the first three chapters are the heavenly calling of the church. And the, the third three chapters, four, five, and six, where we've been the last two weeks and again tonight, are the earthly conduct of the church, how the church does life here and now. Two weeks ago, Colin was up, and his kind of summary thought of the first half of chapter four was this. A church united in Christ is a church maturing in Christ. And you'll remember that chapter four opened with, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. And then they went on to explain that. First, a call to unity within the body of Christ. And finally, he painted a picture of the church growing in maturity, that maturity would keep us from being infants tossed back and forth by the cunning of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, we grow as we build one another up in love. 
And then Nick, last week, led us into the second half of chapter four. Now, he kind of summarized that section with this. Transformed living requires a transformed mind. The Gentiles were darkened in understanding. They're given over to sensuality, impurity, and greed. And he says, you must no longer live like the Gentiles. Put off the old self. Instead, he challenged them that there was a need to be made new in their minds so that they would put on a new self, what Nick called the transformed mind that makes transformed living possible. We're a little disjointed, though, by teaching a letter that really can be read in a single setting over as many weeks as we have. And so I would just challenge you. There's a, there's a really great resource. It's called uh, Streetlights. And you've got three weeks left in the book of Ephesians. Uh, sometime in the next three weeks, if you've not yet, read the book in a single sitting. It takes less than half an hour. If you wanted to listen to it, this app uh, is a, a series of hip-hop producers that make Christian hip-hop music, so there's just interesting beats, and somebody is reading uh, the book of Ephesians over the top of it. It's excellent. I love listening to it. It'll take you 23 minutes for this book uh, of Ephesians, so worth checking out, adding to your tool belt. But tonight's passage is very much a continuation of thought of all that was established in the book, but really in chapter 4. And sometimes when I'm, when I'm teaching, I build all night to a conclusion thought, but I'm just going to show my cards from the beginning. The, the thought I want to end up with, I'm actually going to start tonight together so that as we kind of work through the talk, we're fleshing it out. So this is what I want to wrestle with tonight. I want us to be needy and grateful grace givers. I want us to be needy and grateful grace givers. And we'll flesh that out as we go. So let's jump into chapter five, verse one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I'm a kid's pastor. I'm gonna latch on to any use of the word children in a passage. It's just gonna be the thing that I look at and the thing I start thinking about. And so when I think about following God's example as children, well, kids imitate their parents. We're all, a lot of us are old enough to, to have crossed the threshold now where sometimes we go, oh my, like I'm my dad or like, oh no, I'm my mom. And it's, it's either a mix of wonder or horror that we are, we are imitating them still years down the road. But this one here is a, this imitation, it's a positive quality. It's, it's a dearly loved, or the word is beloved kids mirroring their dearly loving father. And the picture to follow in the text is Christ. The, the sacrificial love shown throughout his life in his death at the cross and in his resurrected life ever after. Paul continues, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper of God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity Foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greeting person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. It's an abrupt pivot from verses one and two, Christ's sacrificial true love, to the lust of three through five. It's, it's, but we gotta recall our setting. We're in Ephesus. It's the home of the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. She's the many-breasted goddess of fertility. So we're just reading a letter written to a culture with a disordered sexual ethic. And so to the people in this city, he says, walk in the way of love and then in these verses, with a lot more words, he says, lust ain't it, folks, not the way. And he says the same to us, but the sad situation is that the church today uh, in culture is often known as much by our lust as by 
our love. High-profile affairs, pervasive sex scandals at every level, even homes and families tainted by abuse or incest or marital rape, and pornography is rampant. When I look at verse 3 and I see not even a hint of sexual immorality, a hint so small, my mind races. At first, it, it races to my own sin, my own ability to look the wrong way at the wrong things, and I feel convicted, not even a hint. And then I recall the book of James and how the warning there in the context of speech, but it's a small spark of sin can ignite a huge blaze. A match can take down a forest. Even the speech called out in this is the speech about sex. I, I wondered about greed. Greed seems weird in the context of all the other sexual things, but theologian John Stott makes a case that greed in this list is covetousness, like the, the last of the Ten Commandments. So sexually coveting a neighbor's wife, a, a self-gratifying lust for another person. And if it's not that, but it's greed in the broader sense, then it, it encompasses all the other sins because at its root, Greed says, God wasn't enough, so I'll take more. Now, there's certainly no ends to the ways that people can talk about sex, but there is no room amongst the brothers and sisters of Christ for locker room talk. No room. To the contrary, Christ's way of love is deeply other-centered. Self-centered gratification, it just falls short of love. Look back at verse 5. No such person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. In the midst of reflecting on grace, being reminded of God's wrath is sobering. Not even a hint. But if a, a small spark of sin can burn down a forest, then God's wrath is against the spark as much as it is against the blaze. They're both destructive. Does that cause any doubts for you? In our, in our study time together in the Mosaic staff team, there, one of the other teachers said, this is the kind of verse that just plagues me in moments of doubt. This is the, the one that kind of drives me at times to ask, am I actually even saved? It's a hard text. Listen to these words of comfort then, again from Stott. He says, we must be cautious, however, in our application of this severe statement. It should not be understood as teaching that even a single immoral thought Word or deed is enough to disqualify us from heaven. Otherwise, which of us would ever qualify for admission? No, for those who fall into such sins through weakness, but afterwards repent in shame and humility, there is forgiveness. The very fact that your heart is pricked to turn back toward him might be the very evidence that the Spirit of God is tenderly convicting you and leading you back. And when we make much of our sin, we make much of his forgiveness. We are in need of his grace. So let's be needy. There was a, one word in the passage, the three through five there, that I skipped. Uh, and I want to come back to it. In, in verse 4, the opposite of obscene, foolish, coarse talk and joking isn't purity, which I would expect it to be. It's thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, which got me thinking. I recall this graphic from Colin's teaching uh, two weeks ago. There comes a time in a believer's life where we crash into a wall of crisis and brokenness and exhaustion. On the other side of the wall, there's an identity given. It's the identity as beloved. And if you'll recall, 
chapter 5, verse 1, Paul describes the children as dearly loved. The word is beloved. <laughs> beloved. The wall, then, is where we come to the end of ourselves. It reveals our neediness. I think the instinctive response at the wall to an adult in our context, 21st century Western capitalist America, is to turn back. Go back, three, two, one, work the other way. Because what we see is neediness is an unpleasant experience. And so the solution must be to do more or to learn more or to ask deeper identity questions at that identity as a believer. Maybe I'm not even saved. But children, dearly beloved children, how do children respond Infants aren't ever shy to be needy. They will hoot and holler, shriek and wail to have their every need met. They can't feed or clothe or care for themselves at all. They're almost exclusively needy. And as they age, we teach them independence. They kind of stand up on their own a little bit. But they still ask for help easily especially, especially beloved children who are secure knowing their needs will be met. The thing that changes us from people who resist being needy to people who embrace our own neediness is grace. The, the gospel is the truly only story that makes no sense. It's, it's the opposite of any other story we tell. Think about all the other stories that the world tells. It tells a fundamentally different story. You get ahead by working harder, doing more, learning more, but grace breaks this. We can't earn it by working harder. We can't earn it by cleaning up the sin in our lives. It's just freely given. And people that understand grace, are free to bring their need to God. His grace is the gift that meets our needs. And our response is thanksgiving. It's gratitude. Let's be needy and grateful. We've been singing um, a hymn. We started this during COVID when everything shut down. We started reading a little bit out of the Bible, and then singing a hymn together until we have it memorized. And we're kind of in the weeds now. My wife grew up in a small church, and so she has some like special ones to her that a lot of people haven't heard. So, but I wanted to read you a verse, out of the, the, the chorus of this one. It's called, He Giveth More Grace. It says, His love has no limits. His grace has no measure his power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. The generosity of God shifts the way we see our sin and the sin of others. It's hard to be judgmental when you can't help but proclaim, he's forgiven me of so much, I can't believe how much Love, he gives and gives. Grace, he gives and gives and gives. Now, Mosaic, we've got people in our congregation that are hitting the wall and they're finding their neediness exposed in a, a myriad amount of ways. And some of them are intense. R relationships breaking or cancers spreading. I can't imagine it's common for a church our size, about four to 500 people. I can't imagine that it is, but uh, we actually have two people right now that are recovering from partial foot amputation, like big needinesses hitting our body. And, and so when we, when we are here in this space thinking about this neediness, I pray that it's a season for our church finding ourselves on the other side of the wall, knowing we are his beloved children. Let's jump back in, verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. 
He warned us back in chapter four of the effect of deceitful, empty words. It was another use of child imagery, that time portraying weakness. Paul challenged the believers to grow in maturity so that they were no longer infants, tossed back and forth by the waves of bad doctrine and deceitful schemes. Babies wrenched about by tempestuous seas is a a vivid mental picture that just doesn't get shaken loose easily. And here in in seven, it talks about partners. It uses the word partners. And I think that's the right phrasing. There's other translations that use do not associate with them. But there's, there's some baggage that comes in that's unintended if we loosen it like that. We're not totally removed from interacting. Otherwise, by tying, or otherwise, um, evangelizing is impossible. Partner implies a, a longer relationship. So don't partner by tying yourself in business to someone with a, without a Christian business ethic. It might not go well for you. Don't partner by tying yourself in romantic relationship with someone without a Christian sexual ethic. It might not go well for you. Don't partner with people bent on disobedience to God. For you were once darkness, but now you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Why aren't we to partner with the disobedient? Well, don't partner because you were darkness too. You were them and you aren't any longer. You are now light in the Lord. Beloved children, stop imitating darkness. Imitate God. Notice it's not in darkness and in light, but you were darkness and now are light. It's not a description It's essence, it's identity. Rose-colored glasses, they threaten to soften our own memory of the sin we've been forgiven of. They make it hard to believe that we too were once darkness. We slowly drift until we think, well, sure, there was some shading around the periphery of my heart. No, we were Darkness. If we're going to live differently, we must find out what pleases the Lord. Not just what I want to do, but the Creator's desire. Not this creature's desire. The Creator's desire. Paul continues Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 9 said, the fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And verses 11 and 12 here said that the fruitless deeds of darkness aren't even to be mentioned. And if I think about an actual tree trying to gather actual food from this tree, then this whole analogy makes sense. Light produces fruit. A, A tree in darkness won't fruit. It's fruitless. Evil gives no benefit. But darkness is our propensity. It's our unchecked instinct. The first half of 13 is a bit of a, a, a kind of a duh moment, like, Light something up and it's visible. Great. But part two is surprising. It it seems to point to the fact that it's not just exposure, but transformation that's being pictured. Light not only makes visible the evil hiding in darkness, but then between believers, it can actually lead to a renewing of that transformation. They again become light. God is the one who calls unsaved sinners to repentance, but this exposing work is done 
amongst believers, the obedient calling the wayward into the light. And exposing is both an active confrontation in word, uh, but also a passive confrontation in conduct. Two examples. I just graduated high school, and I spent my first summer working overnights at Lowe's, and I picked up a sailor's mouth. And late into the summer, I was called out by a friend and a fellow believer who said, you sound like an idiot. He was right. (laughs) It did sound a bit foolish. It not only exposed the darkness, but it re-inspired transformation. With a word, my friend called for me to come out of the slumber of sin, wake up sleeper, to have the light of Christ burn away the darkness. Second, I'm, uh, I'm not under any uh, you know, deception here. I'm a bit of a chunky chap, okay? And um, if we meet for lunch and you order first and you order the salad, I am challenged to set aside my sinful food habits and choose to care for the only body I'll ever have in this life. That's a confrontation in conduct. That's maybe a silly example, but they're both grace gifts. Paul continues in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Being needy and grateful, grace givers, is hard. It requires wisdom. Verse 16's phrase here, making the most of every opportunity, that's a thought that just demands sobriety, just wakes you up. It's a splash of cold water on the face. It's got a a real Ecclesiastes kind of vibe to it that I just love. It's my favorite book. We're brief in this life. The number of hours in a day don't change. The days are evil. They're run through with sin, sickness, and death. The, the phrase translated that way is, is a, a word meaning redeem or buy back. In a lot of other ancient Greek texts, it's used in the context of buying back a slave. The, the implications aren't here, but thinking about if we were reading the phrase translated that way, we wouldn't read make the most of every opportunity. We would read ransom the time from its evil bondage. And man, that just hits me. It hits me in a point of deep conviction. I have a destructive habit of distraction and disengagement, and it lets time, it's the only unrecoverable resource there is, it just lets it spill away from me. And Paul here calls me a fool. Wisdom, on the other hand, as it seeks to know how to use time, It prays and it imitates Christ as it does so when it says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then perhaps even more vulnerably, not my will, but yours be done in my life. So I ask this as a fellow struggler from a a place of need. Are you also someone who so crams your days full in every moment that quiet reflection with the Lord. Time to discern or to understand his will is pushed out. What's a step toward wisdom for you? Is it a silent commute? Is it phone in the other room? Is it a tech-free walk outside alone? Let's be grateful together that we can bring our foolishness to him. And then we arrive at the concluding part of the text tonight, 18 through 21. This whole section is a single thought or a single sentence in the Greek. And I wanted to reflect that. The NIV application commentary says, hey, we've kind of messed some things up in the NIV, and and it worked to try to redeem that. So I I took those ideas, and I, I tried to get it to reflect in the text this way. Look at it with me. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
It's a lot of commas and a lot of ings now. Speak ing to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the reason they, they push for this is because there's only two imperatives, only two genuine commands given in the Greek. Don't get drunk, which I think if we're sobered by the brevity of our evil days, makes sense in light of the topic here, and be filled with the Spirit. The rest are all participles, speaking and singing, making, giving, submitting. They can be interpreted as commands, but they're all results flowing out of being filled with the Spirit. The God who lives in us helps us imitate him. He sees our need and he steps in to graciously fill us so that we too can be grace givers. Now there's a final tough text here that we we need to acknowledge. It's that verse 21, submitting. The word submitting, it's been misapplied or misused and people have been hurt as a result We've got to read it in light of all that has come before it, especially verses one and two. Since you are beloved children who walk in love and imitate Christ, who submitted himself to God in obedience and then submitted himself in all of humanity in his death, go ahead and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Imitate Christ out of reverence for Christ. It's all Christians submitting to each other. As if to say, in gratitude, I receive your grace gifts. And in humility, I meet your needs as I give grace. We're gonna have about a minute of silence here as I walk out. Let's be needy and graceful grace givers.
not stand or fall Jesus, you're my hope to stay When I cannot, when I cannot stand or fall And oh, Jesus, you're my hope and stay held nothing back. You have loved me with all of you more than I can comprehend. But you don't wait for me fully to understand before you come and take my hand. Your powerful, tender love encircles me and it draws me. It captures me. It unravels me. I'm tangled in a love that can set me free. I can't help but kneel before you in gratitude think that you, Jesus, my King, would die for me, to dwell in me. Your love roots me. Your love establishes me. Your love invites me to be honest with you. I lack nothing. You want me to fill, you want to fill me with your love in every way. Would you do this with me? So I breathe deep and we say, I thank you, I receive, I rest. Would you just take a moment to be with Jesus?
God, it's our prayer tonight. Lord, is what, it lo- what we learn as we learn what it looks like. Lord, when light exposes the darkness, what a gift it is. Lord, what a gift you've given us to be exposed by this light of yours, God. We love you, Lord. We are thankful for you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Church, it's great to see you. If you need prayer tonight, we'll have the prayer team down front and we have the prayer team also to celebrate with you. If there's something awesome that God's done in your life, come pray with them. If there's something you really need prayer over, uh, just with maybe a hard work God's doing in your life, we'd love to pray with you as well. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And our people said, See you next week, church. Have a good weekend.